You're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast. This is Season 4, Episode 2, recorded on the 8th of February, 2020. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode. Yes, I'm trying to get these out more regular as you can tell, particularly if people are willing to send me questions. I'm going to go over a few more of the Patreon questions I've received later this episode, but obviously I welcome questions from everybody. It doesn't have to be a Patreon member, it's just that Patreon members get, you know, the shall we say, they get put to the front of the line in terms of ones I answer. But I welcome questions from everybody. You want to catch me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or email me, whatever. Send me a list of questions and I'll be sure to get them answered on the Q&A sections of the podcast. But otherwise, uh, life's not too bad at the moment. It's just a bit busy work-wise because January as a chartered tax accountant is pretty much hell on toast anyway. And I also have another big project to do at work, which... I'm managing. I've had to do some work this morning, and I'm going to have to do some work tomorrow in order to do it, as well as a couple of days full front uh, this week. But it's one of those things, you know, the, the fee from this particular client pays pretty much my salary and my boss and then some. So if they walk, then I don't really have a job next week. So it really is one that I have to focus on, you know, it's just the way it is at this time of year. But I look forward to the rest of February and most of pretty much March as well, being a lot more plodding along type thing, you know, kind of just you know, meand- not meandering, but, you know, there's plenty of work to do always, but not quite as stressful. At least the gaming industry has decided to slow down a bit. It's nice at this time of year when pretty much no decent releases get released, and you can just sort of kick back and go, you know what, some podcasts, some top tens, you know, some some consistent but spaced out reviews. I can do that, and it's only been a bit like that for the, the last month. I mean, I look on my board on the other side there, and, well, podcast, I've got to record this one. I've got a written review for Crystal Palace coming in about three days. Uh, the review for Chocolate Factory went up today, so you can check that one out. And on my to playlist, I've only got uh, three more. I've got uh, the Time Stories Hadal expansion, which I hope to do tomorrow. I've got the Coloma game, which um, I believe is uh, the designer of Sierra West's other design. I have no idea what to expect from this because I know very little about its mechanics, its theme. And I've heard mixed reviews. Some people praise it like crazy and some people say they hate it. So this is going to be an interesting one, but that's in the post. And I also have Awkward Guests written on there, which to be honest, might as well move to the to review slash write stage. Although I have one more game of it to play before I'm ready to review it. And that is a solo mode, so I can give my opinion on that. But yeah, not that many games to worry about mine. If only I could just get up to date with the ones I already want to play. I've got about six packs, maybe seven or eight, of LCGs downstairs on the table, you know, several of which arrived today. I've got three more Lord of the Rings to catch up on. I've got two Arkham Horror ones to catch up on, plus another standalone Arkham Horror one. I still haven't done the Excelsior Hotel one yet. And I've just received the Wrecking Crew for Marvel Champions as well. So I got all these to play. And guess what else turned up on my doorstep the other day? On Mars. Yeah. Finally, I managed to get my copy sent to me in the post. We had some delays in the UK, and I look forward to playing it. It's a Lacerda game. I already like most of his stuff, but 
it's going to be a beast. It's going to take some time tomorrow to really get to grips with it. And uh, I look forward to giving a review of that one. Although, we'll have to see whether it's going to be a review or maybe I'll kickstart a new series of first impressions because it's not exactly like it's an easy game to get to the table regularly. And I don't want to have to wait several months to do a review on it when I could give some first impressions, which would give you at least an indication of what I think of the game. You know, I have to be able to be prepared for when we get to you game games expo gen con and essen when you know games are going to pile on my plate and i need to find a way to get them out without resorting to the anthologies if i can help it because the problem with anthologies is that a publisher doesn't like their game being talked about with another five other games as well they like their video to be just their game but you know we're going on with it and we'll see how it goes in terms of up-to-date conventions, well, Aircon is just around the corner in March. I will be there for the full time. I'm even hoping to take some time off in lieu and extend my trip so I can visit a bit of York and Yorkshire because I've never really been to the Yorkshire Dales and I've never visited York. But it's been high on my list to do, so uh, hopefully I'll be able to do that as well as obviously I'll be at Aircon anyway. Apart from that, there's not much in the way of conventions other than that one, really. I mean, we get StabCon South late March. That's a very basic one. I don't tend to do any other conventions around April time. Uh, Gridcon's not till June, is it? So that's not happening. However, I'm not going to spoil things now because I need to get things sorted properly before, and I need them to announce it first, really. But I am in talks with another convention about attending for my first time this year. I'm not going to say spoilers as to who it is and where it is, but uh, suffice to say it's in a country I've not visited before, but it's very high on my visit, you know, wish list. And I've considered going to this convention before, but it's been a bit expensive to sort of get across. But there's a chance that I will be invited as a special guest to this convention, along with some other, you know, more appropriate board game celebrities, shall we say. And if it all goes through, I am looking forward to it like you wouldn't believe. So, you know, I will explain more about this when it's made official, because I don't want to go jumping the gun here. But it'll be great. I mean, if I do get to go to this one, it's going to be fantastic, I'm sure. So I haven't been playing a ton of games lately, in fact most of the activity I've done with games has been rearranging my board game collection, yes, as I stand in front of one of my bits of my collection, I spent a good couple of hours today basically rearranging my entire board game collection and trying to put them in such a way that the publishers are kind of kept together if I can help it. There's a lot of games where I've only got one game from the publisher which means that they can be scattered around the place or basically kept on a few sort of Calyx places by themselves. But for the most part, I've tried to sort of put it that if you spot one game from a particular publisher, then the rest of that publisher should be in the same location or at least near enough. And that's worked for the most part, and I think it looks a bit neater now. However, there was one drawback. I was packing games in, like you wouldn't believe, in a very efficient manner last time in terms of space. By doing this, it's not as efficient space-wise anymore. In fact, I really struggled to get enough games on the shelves. So much so that I've had to cull a few titles that I thought, yeah, you know what, these can't stay in my collection anymore. And I was hoping not to have to cull anymore because now I'm at a point where I'm very short on room in my collection and now games are really going to have to fight for a decent place now in order to go in my collection. But it looks like my local game cafes might be getting a few donations in the near future. There's a few I need to sell off properly, but uh, no, there's a few old ones that were, you know, are never going to make a decent 
you know, amount of money or anything that I think uh, Dice Portsmouth would like to see, you know, some games like uh, Tumbling Dice, you know, I can't hang on to this giant box for much longer, but I think uh, they'll have a blast at Dice Portsmouth with people with Tumbling Dice, and obviously if I'm there, I'd like to play it as well. And a few other ones like that, like Fireball Island, and just ones that I think a cafe setting will work well with. But what have I played? Well, let me give you a, a slight indication of, shall we say, awkward guess, because... I'm going to give this one a proper review, but for now, I will say that it's been pretty good so far. Awkward Guess came out a few years ago, and it's basically what Cluedo should have been in the first place. You are basically solving a murder. Murder is taking place, all the guests are in one house, you're a detective and you're trying to solve it. So Cluedo had you find a suspect location and murder weapon here. Similar, you've got to find the suspect, you've got to figure out what their motive was, and you've got to figure out where the what the murder weapon was. They all get, he gets murdered in the study regardless, you don't have to find a location. But whereas the old version drove you up the wall with the stupid roll and move mechanic, and the fact that you could just get teleported around the place and it screwed your game up, this one though, doesn't have that problem. Because on this one, everybody's got like a... a sort of pad in front of them and a bunch of cards with various clues on them. The deck is made up of 70 cards where you get a unique solution every time. It tells you which cards to shove in the deck, you shuffle it up, dish them out and everybody starts getting clues at different times during the game. But you also have trading rounds where you trade these cards for their value with other players to try and exchange information. But you choose what information you want to give out. So you might think, I want to hang on to this clue because I think this is such a strong clue that I can't let it slip. But I do need to be able to get some decent information from him because I think he knows what something I need to know. And it's a it's simple enough to learn the game, but by God does it burn your brain trying to do these mysteries. And this is on the easy mode, although it's kind of weird. There's seven modes of difficulty and it basically goes like beginner, very easy, easy, medium, hard, hard very hard, very, very hard. And it's like, could they not come up with other words for these difficulties? It's kind of weird like that, but... Even before you start throwing in things like accomplices and actual liars, then it's already pretty brain burning. But you go on the harder difficulties and oh my god, it is it a bit of a brain buster. But, uh, you know, suffice to say I haven't won it that often because I tend to suck at these deduction games, but it's good fun. It is what Cluedo should have been in the first place. It gets people thinking, it gets people interacting, I roleplay it, it, you know, you can get you know, hammer up in the negotiation phases. It's so far a good laugh, but I need to see what it's like in solo mode. And if I am going to talk negatives, the setup is a bit of a, a bit of a pain. Same with the takedown, because assembling that deck involves going through these piles and finding 70 specific cards, and if you get one wrong, you could break a good chunk of the game. In fact, you could break the game entirely for somebody if you put the wrong card in. But, oi, oi, having to sort out those 70 cards is annoying. It really is a bit of a put-off. You've got a side app that allows you to sort of load up the case instantly, but that still requires you to put the deck out. So it's got those irritations, but overall it's a pretty sweet game. Don't want to say much more on it though, because obviously I want to do a full video on it. By popular demand, I've had this one, you know, asked from me when they saw it on my shelf. So I figured, you know what, it's a relatively quiet period. I could do that. So what spawned this podcast off? Well, 
There was a Twitter post recently from What's Eric Plain. It's a he's a guy on Twitter. He does content creation as well, does reviews, that kind of thing. Always up for checking out other people's content. But he had a bit of an interesting tweet uh, about a couple of weeks ago, and I thought this would make a good podcast topic where. He asked about what is your favourite consistent publisher. Now, people can think, oh yeah, this is my favourite publisher because if you look at my top 10 games of all time, this publisher features all the time in it. But that's not the same as being a consistent publisher. If you were to look at my top 10 from a top 100, you would notice there's quite a lot of Fantasy Flight games in there. But that's not the same as being consistent because Fantasy Flight have done a lot of games that I just don't care about or just didn't flat out like. You know, they've done a lot of games, so there's room for this. Of course, that gives a slight advantage to the ones who have not published that many games because there's less chance to go wrong. It's a bit like comparing somebody, you know, like a new publisher who's done two, or a new designer who's done two or three games versus someone like Reiner Knizia who's done so many games it's unreal. Clearly, the one who produced less has got less chance to do anything wrong than someone like Reiner Knizia who, despite having made so many games, is bound to have made a few duds along the way. But this did get me thinking, because I was thinking, out of the games I do like, who is the best that I can call a consistent publisher, and does such a thing even exist? As I looked through the collection today when I was rearranging it, I thought this would be a good time to do the recording, and I have to say, I don't think there's ever such thing as a truly consistent publisher. I can't think of a single publisher who's made, say, a good 7-8 games plus who I like every single game from. There's always going to be a dud along the way, or one that just rubs you the wrong way, one that you just hate beyond belief, and it's not... You're never going to get pure consistency. But I will say, there are a few publishers on my shelves where if they're going to release a new game, I'm at least interested. You know, some other publishers may release a game and I'm like, okay, cool, I'll check it out when it's done, or uh, if it happens to be a combination of them with a specific designer, then I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll definitely check that one out. But just for a publisher to release a game where I'm going, ooh, what are they doing now? Isn't it's not as common as you might think, but I've narrowed it down to three. Three publishers from my shelf, not Fantasy Flight. You know, Fantasy Flight do fantastic games that I like, but a lot of the games I like from them tend to be Star Wars, Cthulhu, and like 40k related. So it's pretty much just games along those, and they have done some duds along the way. I don't care about Star Wars Destiny, Dice Thing, or Legions. Imperial Assault was fine up to a point, but it got boring after a bit. You know, the the weird smiley face and those sort of kiddie lines were a bit weak. The Witcher board game, does anybody remember that? That was a bit of a mess. And so, you know, they haven't been as consistent as I would like. They just happen to have done a few games that I absolutely adore. You know, that much has to be said. And, you know, LCGs, I'll admit, you know, I'd play three of the co-op LCGs. I liked Android Netrunner. Not as big of a fan of uh, Legend of the Five Rings. It's okay, but I don't didn't go mad for it. Game of Thrones Second Edition, I thought was broken at the early stages. Maybe it's improved. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe. Never really got into X-wing miniatures and all that. So I mean, it's not consistent enough for me. But these three, I feel, have done a pretty good job at least being majority consistent. So I'm not ranking these like one first, second, and third place. These are just three publishers I can think of. So I'll start off with uh, Libelude. 
Libellude. Um, I think that's the French pronunciation of them, but uh, L-I-B-E-L-L-U-D, or whatever. <laughs> Not very good today. But these are the ones who have put out things like Dixit, Mysterium, Looney Quest, Seasons. You know, they've put out quite a lot of games that all have a distinct, like, gorgeous look about them. I mean, I can't think of a single ugly Libellude game. You know, they all just ooze colour, and for the most part, ooze theme as well, or at least instill, like, a good amount of fun. But I have to admit, they've done a lot of games that I've not heard of, or the lesser-known ones in their old days, but certainly from, like, recent titles, pretty much everything they've done in that whole picture series, I love. So, Dixit, all the Dixits they've done, Mysterium, uh, the um, new one, Obscurio, all of those are fantastic, and I really like those. But uh, Looney Quest is also a pretty good game. It's not one that I own, but it's one that I see getting played a lot at uh, teaching events, and I think it's fine. Uh, Seasons is a brilliant game. It's still on my shelf. Really love that one. And and even Dice Forge. You know, I didn't go mad for it, but I thought this was decent enough. It just wasn't one that I was prepared to own. I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was fine. You know, maybe I need to play it a few more times. But if someone said, "Oh, do you want to play Dice Forge?" I'd be like, "Yeah, cool." You know, it looks gorgeous. And if I'm gonna say that they're consistent for anything, then it's gonna be the fact that everything they touch just looks gorgeous. So I'm certainly interested to see what they do in terms of their visual aesthetics and then get into what game they do. But this, if I was going to rank these, it would probably be number three, I'll admit. And then the next one I'll say is, uh, despite the fact people might think I'm going a bit fanboy on them lately, but Portal Games. Portal Games, I've spoken highly about them before. I just came back from PortalCon a couple of weeks ago. They are a, a very friendly bunch, you know, like a family unit, even though they're not an actual family. It's just... They're really pleasant people, and that's just the Polish in general, really, not just Portal. But in terms of the games, though, I'm pretty psyched for most stuff that they do. And even the ones that I don't own, I still like, even if I didn't, like, go mad for them. Probably, like, the least liked ones that I've seen by them. And bear in mind, I'm going from, like, my experience with their games. I mean, I'm not sure in what games they've made from 1990 or, you know, the early 2000s before I started board gaming. I'm talking about, say, the last decade, mainly. But, you know, the 51st State, cool engine builder game. Uh, in terms of least liked ones from them, probably the Monolith Arena Nurashima Hex reprint, because I think Nurashima Hex was better. But um, Alien Artifacts I thought was fine, you know, I, I think I, I'd like it, it's okay, but I didn't go mad for it. But in terms of the stuff that I love from them, oh, I do like their stuff. Detective, Robinson Crusoe, Empires of the North, Imperial Settlers, I really want to try Stronghold out. There's First Martians, you know, people gave that one such a hard time, but I really enjoyed that one. And Predaporter, how much praise have I given that one lately for being just, a, you know, the first heavy economic game that I can go, yeah, I really like this one. And I did my vlog on PortalCon the other week where I talked about future releases that they're coming out with. You know, the campaign for Imperial Settlers, uh, more factions for Empires of the North, the spin-off Detective Vienna game, which I think is going to be good. It, there's a lot of stuff that they do that I do latch onto, and I think a lot of it is to do with Ignacity's kind of sort of board games that tell stories mentality, this this motto that he has, his book titles called it, and that's a lot of his 
games in a nutshell, really. They are board games that tell stories. They're thematic. I play them and I remember stuff I've done in the game, or they give me an opportunity to kind of get in, immersed into whatever faction I'm playing or whatever scenario I'm playing. First Martians and Robinson Crusoe are brilliant for that. Predator Porter, we are doing roleplay on that one, even though that's a heavy economic game, and I know nothing about fashion, but the jokes will fly when we play that one. And... Uh, trying to get even imperial settlers and empires of the north you know the pictures the the aesthetics the factions they all feel distinct you know portal just sort of sing to me with their their themes in games you know i'm a big lover of theme in my games and they just seem to have knocked it out of the park in doing good thematic games so that every time portal's coming out with something new i want to know what it is even they're not so thematic games like nurishima hex on alien artifacts alien artifacts is fine I like Nurishima Hex. It's not one that I play. I mean, I've played it occasionally on the app. I wouldn't own the physical game because the app's too good. But, and I'm not very good at it, I must admit. But if somebody said, you know, there's two of us, you know, we've got some time, you want to play a bit of Nurishima Hex, I'd be more than happy for it. And I would really like to play Stronghold. You know, the, whether it's the new Undead one or the second edition one from previous. You know, it, it's a two-player game, hence I've never really got hold of it or tried to do anything with it. But... I'd certainly like to give that one a try. I reckon it'd be pretty sweet. So, uh, yeah, Portal's done a pretty good job on it as well. And then the other one, the last one I'll mention, uh, in terms of consistency, I would probably have to say Ryan Lockett and Red Raven Games. Now, one game of theirs I can't stand, 8-Minute Empire, but frankly, that was almost like the first outing from my perspective with them, and it's like, it's so unlike every other game that uh, Ryan Lockett has created, but... Red Raven Games, Ryan Lockett, it's the same person, the same designer, artist, publisher, music person, you know, the works. Basically, he does everything himself. He's a bit of a machine. But, whoa, um, I've got a whole Calyx shelf devoted to his games. I've got uh, Haven, a really cool two-player game. I've got Near and Far, great storytelling game. I've got uh, The Ancient World, a really cool game. And I've got my favorite space game ever from him, which is Empires of the Void 2. And I don't just mean my favorite space game from him, I mean my favorite space game, period. Yeah, Empires of the Void 2 is fantastic, and I love the original one as well. And I still like certain other games, like Islebound, I think is good when you've got four players in it. It doesn't work quite well with less. And I liked uh, City of Iron as well. It's probably a bit lower down the list for me, along with Islebound, but I really love the ones that are on my shelf. And of course, I kickstarted and cannot wait to see you know, Sleeping Gods when that gets released. But why is this one consistent? Well, because his art style, for A, his art style is very appealing to me. It's very colourful. I like this world that he's created where he uses the similar artwork for the characters and stories that unfold, and I think it's really good. The games are usually very good for their theme, whether it's a story narrative or just the fact that they look good and immerse you in the world that he has created, you know, particularly with things like Near and Far, Empires of the Void 2, and the upcoming Sleeping Gods, I think will be perfect for that sort of thing, but even things like the Ancient World do a pretty good job as well. But... Granted, there's only so many games he's made, but the games that I haven't played from Red Raven, I want to try. I haven't tried Rome, but I know it's a bit of an abstract game, but I would like to try it nonetheless. Above and Below was decent enough as well. The only reason I haven't really talked highly of that one is mainly because Near and Far has replaced it. So I almost pretty much just call Near and Far Above and Below 2.0, you know. But, you know, whichever one of those two you prefer, you know, there's going to be one that you love and Near and Far is the one for me. 
But as soon as I knew he was doing Sleeping Gods, I was like, yep, I'm on it. And if I see another game from him in this same world with this art style, then naturally I'm going to be wanting to see more of it. So I have to admit, other than 8-Minute Empire, there isn't a single game by Red Raven that I dislike. You know, all the rest of his games have been ones I like, just at different levels. So I have to say that he's been pretty consistent so far, even though they've not made as many games as some other publishers. But... As much as I say these ones are consistent, that doesn't mean they're necessarily my favourites. It doesn't necessarily mean that others aren't consistent at all in general. It's just the ones that have kind of sung home with me. And I know some of you out there are probably you're sort of going, it's like, well, hang on a minute, what about Cool Mini or Not? Really? A lot of Cool Mini or Not stuff is not something I go for. Certainly not consistent with me. There's probably a few of you heavier ones out there that are like, come on, what about Capstone Games? Bus, enough said. But it's, it's not gonna, an Irish gauge. Yeah, that's a really good one. No, 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 it's not. It's like, you know, they are not consistent for me, even though they have done Cooper Island and Maracaibo. The first one I like more than Maracaibo, but it's like, cool, you know, never mind. But I look behind my myself on my shelf at the moment, and a lot of publishers are kind of like I've got two or three games of, and that's about it. So, you know, Eggertspiel. Camelot, Coinbra, and Heaven and Ale. And technically, Camelot wasn't theirs in the first place. Uh, what else have I got? Uh, Cosmos. Cosmos were pretty good. I've got a lot of their stuff, but the thing with Cosmos is that they've also put out a lot of rubbish. And if you look at their two-player series, yeah, the two-player series is really good. But if you look through the whole catalogue, you will notice there's quite a few duds in there as well as the hotness from ones like Kahuna and Lost Cities and Imhotep the Duel, which is a bit underrated, actually. You should really give that one a try. But uh, Garpil Games, you know, they've done the two trilogies. They've done five of them so far. The Raiders and the North Sea and the West Kingdom trilogy. Raiders of the North Sea, love, with the expansions that is. We're Architects of the West Kingdom, my favourite, love. Paladins, decent, but I don't love it. But it's in my collection for now. Look forward to see what Viscounts is on about. But the other two from the Raiders of the North Sea trilogy, not so much. Explorers and Shipwrights, no, they didn't work for me. So... And that's just the ones that I can see behind me. I mean, there's other ones in the other room where I think, yeah, I got a few of their games, but there's a reason I don't have some of their other ones. And it, it was hard to try and think of these. But I just think it's hard to be a consistent publisher at the end of the day. I mean, you're going to make bad games. It's not like you can always put out a hit. And if you believe you're one of these publishers that can put out a solid hit every single time, then you seriously need to step down from your ivory tower because with that kind of mentality, you are doomed to fail hard. You have to be able to put away some of that hubris and kind of realize that occasionally you will put out a game that just doesn't quite hit the mark, whether it's because of the board gaming hobby just exploding with too many games at the moment, or maybe your game just simply wasn't as good as it could have been or isn't good to begin with these sort of things will happen and certainly I look forward to seeing if other publishers uh, continue to be consistent for me I mean I didn't include uh, Awakened Realms on there because as much as I pretty much like everything they've done I've only really played two or three of their games I haven't played Lords of Hellish yet and I need to see more games from them to really comment also uh, Mind Clash games technically they've had a 100% streak not counting, well, the Cerebia card game's okay, but I mean, not counting that because that was kind of a spin-off from a Kickstarter. You know, Cerebia, Anachrony, and Tricarion. Love those three games. Fantastic. 100%. It's free games. 
I can't really say that they are a consistent publisher with only three titles to their name. Let's see what their next one is like. Let's see what the next two are like. But at the end of the day, Mind Clash is one of those publishers who's doing things right. They're taking their time with their games and it's like, ah, oh, the amount of publishers who are literally just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks at the moment. You know, it's nice to have a publisher that takes their time over a game, really irons it out and then goes, here it is. And I end up loving it. You know, bit of time. It's just like the video game industry in that regard. Take your time with your games and they will turn out to be hits. Rush it though, and you're not going to get the sales that you kind of want, or the reputation that you want anyway. So, yeah. I'd be interested to know what publishers you consider to be consistent, why you consider them to be consistent, what's your threshold for when you decide if they are, you know, is it five games, ten games, you know, more or less... And, you know, do you think these three publishers I mentioned could be considered consistent or do you have different opinions about their games? I'd be interested to know. But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting tweet and I thought I'd spend some time talking about it. Okay, and to wrap up the show, I'm going to talk about some questions. Yes, I've got five more here from Patreon that I want to go over. I've had a couple more from non-Patreons, but I'm going to save them from another segment because I don't want to unload them all in one deal. You know, I went through quite a lot last time, I think seven. I think five is a good maximum to go through, and as I say, I do need more questions. So by all means, send me your questions. I kind of need them. So let's have a look and see what we've got. Okay, four of them here come from Andy Foster on my Patreon. Thank you very much. So, any predictions for the coming year or decade? Themes, mechanics, apps, weight, that kind of thing. Hmm, any predictions? Well, I'd, I think we're going to see an uprising in apps, certainly. I think app-assisted games are going to start... You know, not, not exploding, but we're going to see more of them as people start to realise, oh, you know what, these are actually pretty sweet additions. Yeah, there's a few people who, for some reason, on this stupid train of, I'll never be able to play my game in 40 years with something when it, the device goes out of date. That's not going to happen, and this technology can update. And frankly, if you enjoyed the game for 40 years and then it went defunct, I think you've got your money's worth out of it, to be fairly frank. But Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, Journeys in Middle-Earth, even Awkward Guest that I mentioned has a cool side app with it. You know, and XCOM, really cool app. You know, app-assisted games are good. I like them, and I would like to see more of them. And I reckon that with the technology improving, I mean, Chronicles of Crime's a good example as well, I think apps are going to start seeing a bit of a, not a resurgence, but just like, oh, you know, more people are going to try it. In terms of mechanisms, though, and themes, hard to say. I mean, the problem I'm seeing at the moment, and this is certainly a bit of a trend, is that we seem to be moving away from really quality, good family weight games, you know, light games, stuff that I can teach new players to the hobby. And instead, we just seem to be printing out a ton of these two to three hour behemoth Euro games. And there's plenty of them already. Do we need more? I feel like we need more games to help get people into the hobby, but there just seems to be a big rush of 
publishers just wanting to put out these giant euros to appease the elitist gamers. And it's like, I love a good heavy euro as much as the next person, but I also want some games I can teach anybody, not just the select few people I happen to game with. You know, I'd like to be able to say, oh, this is a really awesome ticket to ride level style game that is going to take the hobby by storm and I can teach this to everybody and I'm going to do so right now. I'm going to go to the cafe and do it. it. But at the moment, I just feel that, you know, the prediction is that we're just going to see more of these heavy behemoth Euro games and family weight games are not going to get as much buzz. I mean, I don't know of any family weight level game on the horizon. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's a little bit problematic on that one. Mechanisms? I think mechanisms are just going to kind of stay as they are, really. I don't think there's any going to be any, like, brand new mechanism that's uh, going to suddenly take off. But uh I think we're seeing a bit of a downtrend in things like deck building. I don't tend to see many of those anymore. There seems to be a big fascination with dice, so I think dice are going to feature pretty heavily in the future. You know, with dice placement or dice manipulation as opposed to rolling them. You know, a lot of these games actually with dice lately don't actually have you roll any dice. They just have you use dice as a medium. Um, but other than that, I don't see much in the way of anything new with that. Just the, the idea that we're going to see far too many big Euros. I'll tell you one thing I do predict, though, and this is kind of worrying me. Last year, I wasn't a huge fan of 2019, and a lot of my favorite games in that year were reprints. I have a sneaking suspicion that 2020 is going to be a bit like last year, where the biggest games or the best games to come out are going to be pretty much reprints. Which is not necessarily a bad thing because some of these older games should get some love, but I think we're just gonna I think we're gonna be talking very highly about reprinted games rather than new games. And I think that people are the publishers are not gonna come up with a lot of new ideas this year. I think that publishers are at the moment basically just bringing out sequels in franchises that already work. You know, Portal games are bringing out a lot of cool stuff, but it's in Robinson Crusoe, it's in Empires of the North and Imperial Settlers, and it's in Detective. We have these franchises already, these are just sequels to them. Uh, there's a few other ones on the horizon from other publishers where it's like, oh, you're milking, what's it, Plan B was always milking the Azul crowd. You know, the Cool Mini or Not's doing their whole sort of like dudes on the map beating each other up thing with uh, Blood Rage, Rising Sun, and the new Ankh, or whatever it's supposed to be in the future. Uh, this and even you know worker placements and that you know the well any of the West Kingdom you know Architects of West Kingdom Paladins of the West Kingdom it's it's all going to be milking franchises that they've already got and or making sequel games that are basically the same game but spin-offs of what the original was so I think we're going to be seeing quite a bit of that this year and I'm not sure whether I feel good about that. Because I want publishers to start coming up with original ideas. And the problem I'm having at the moment is that I'm coming across a lot of games that just aren't that original. And so I play it and I go, well, yeah, it's fine. It's got two legs to stand on, but it's not going to be able to jump high enough to surpass some of these other ones that have already come before it. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that the, the hobby takes a bit of a downturn, maybe a bit of a recession, just holds back a bit. But, yeah, predictions... I'm not looking great, I'll admit. Oh, blimey, I spent a long time on this question. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Any suggestions around games that are mid medium weight, yet easy to learn, and are forgiving with table space? Well, that's the kicker, isn't it? The table space. Because there's a lot of good medium weight games, 
but a lot of these medium and heavy games do take up the table space, so trying to think of some ones there is going to be tricky. But uh, let's have a look behind me and see what I can see. Uh, first one that jumps to mind is possibly... I'd say Energy Empire is not bad, actually. Manhattan Project Energy Empire. It's got a brilliant rulebook for learning the game. It is not a complex game in itself. It has a really cool dice mechanic as well as uh, the Manhattan Project-style worker placement of everybody puts their workers down but takes them off at different times. You know, I really like that. But it doesn't take up that much table space, really. I mean, you have a small player board for yourself. You have the main board and some cards around the place. That's about it. It's not that big of a table hog. Uh, but looking at other stuff on there, it's tricky because Pulsar 2849, that's a bit of a table hog when you get everything out. Uh, Yellow and Yangst, uh, or Tigris and Euphrates, that's pretty forgiving on the table space actually, you could go with that. And there's not a lot of rules in that game, it's just pretty hard to master, I'll certainly say that for a kickoff. I was just talking about Portal a minute ago, so Empires of the North, Imperial Settlers, they are, I wouldn't call them light, I wouldn't call them heavy by any means, but they're pretty straightforward to learn, but you'll be trying out the different factions, trying out different combos and tableau card play, that could work pretty well for you. Viticulture would be far too much of a table hog, there's no way that's going to work anytime soon. But, uh, oh, I mentioned behind me, actually, the Garpil games. You know, Raiders of the North Sea is not a particularly table hog, and nor is Architects of the West Kingdom, actually. Architects of the West Kingdom has the main board. You technically have a player board, but to be honest, you don't really need it. As long as you stash your meeples away from the ones that you capture, you can pretty much do what you like without that board. And you just need space in front of you for about five apprentices and a few building cards. Some resources, not a lot of table space used in Architects. Do not try to use Paladins though, that is definitely a heavy game and it is one of the biggest table hogs in the world. So do not even think of using that one. Uh, Terramara, uh, midweight or heavy, I'm not sure, but Terramara also does have a bit of a table hog to it. So this is a bit of a tricky one actually, but I mean the ones that I've mentioned should be pretty good. Uh, Newton, uh, Newton's got several boards, several, yeah, several bits to go. I don't think that one's pretty suitable. Coimbra, no, you need too much. You need all the cards that you buy as a tableau. You've got the sideboard, the main board with the tracks. You've got the dice. You've got your own little player board. Yeah, that, that does just have too much to it. So, yeah, I mean, Energy Empire, you know, Architects of the West Kingdom, you know, the Empires of the North. You know, those, those games for a kickoff would be pretty suitable medium weight games that don't have a massive table hog space, but uh, I'm sure there's some others that I just can't think of off the top of my head, and uh, by all means, if people want to, you know, put some comments on the YouTube uh, posting of this video to help the guy out, then by all means, do so. Are you planning on any merchandise? Not really. I mean, it's hard enough trying to keep the videos up and going as well as the podcast and my normal life, but merchandise who's gonna buy any of my merchandise anyway i mean it's hard enough just getting views on the channel do you think anybody really is that interested in a t-shirt with my logo on it it's not something i've really considered and even then what merchandise would i do i mean trying to order in a ton of t-shirts would be quite costly and problematic it's no guarantee i'd sell them i haven't got time at conventions to have like a booth selling that sort of stuff does anybody really care about buying a mug or a keyring with a logo on it? It's just not something I've really 
thought about doing really and i don't know many other channels that do it other than the like the big ones like the dice tower and that and to be honest they have the resources to actually do that so it's not something that's really on my mind i mean if anyone's got any good ideas let me know but it, i just think i would struggle to be able to manage it and maintain it and for what probably would not be that well not well regarded but so not as popular as other things you know i think I'd, my time would be probably best spent just making more content what are your favorite cooperative games well called blimey would you like the list if you look at my top 100 it's got a lot of co-op games on there but saying that i do play a lot of them solo so maybe i should think less about the ones that i play solo because there are games like mansion of the madness second edition and journeys in middle earth and uh, tainted grail where i really like these games and they are technically co-op but i tend to play them solo so i guess that doesn't count so i should really think about co-op games where i want to be in a team and there's a few that do come to mind. First one instantly comes to mind is my favourite game of, well, my first, second favourite game of all time. It keeps interchanging Sentinels of the Multiverse. This one I can play solo on the app, and I do play it solo myself as well, but I really like getting this to the table with multiplayer as well, because you have to work together as a team. There is no Lone Ranger. Everybody has their role, their distinct hero. Anybody like me who is a massive fan of superheroes will get into it, immerse themselves, even roleplay their character, and it just comes off so good as a game. Yes, it's not for everybody, I get it, but for me, it just works well. I can have four, three of us with different characters. There's the damage dealer, there's the tank, there's me as the healer. I know that's very World of Warcraft-ish <laughs> logic there, but it does tend to go that way. You know, I like playing the support characters and supporting my team rather than being the one who does the main damage. So tank and support healing, and that was kind of always my favorite thing to do in World of Warcraft. I never like being the damage dealer. It's boring. Yay, I shot you for a million points of damage. I don't care. You know, you are a glass cannon. If I flick you, you'll die. Somebody's got to keep you alive. I like to do that myself. Um, let's have a look at other comps though. Uh, the new Atlantis Rising 2nd Edition is pretty good. I mean, it's good solo, but it works very well as a multiplayer game with people like pressing their luck with the different workers, having the different special powers, and everyone gets into the discussion of, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, like, which more, which of the bits of the machine are we going to build first? You know, that's pretty good, but what do you think about this? And, well, if you go to that peninsula and get some of that, then I can do this over here, but I need you to get that first. And there's a good amount of discussion with that one, and it can, if you dare, go up to seven players. I recommend no more than four or five, but it has that option. Uh, the Forbidden Deserts and the Forbidden Islands, I don't like Sky that much, but those other two, really good. I like playing them multiplayer rather than solo. Nice and simple, nice and quick. I can teach them to new gamers, I can help them with it. And I suppose along those lines, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. I pretty much never play this one solo. This one's pretty much a multiplayer game for me. And this one is one of my favorite co-ops ever, but also one of my favorite ones to teach. Because one problem with co-ops is the alpha gamer syndrome, which I tend to avoid when I'm playing a co-op game. But it's a thing that some people don't like about co-ops, and it is a problem you have to overcome. Flashpoint Fire Rescue, though, is a brilliant way to overcome the alpha gamer, because everything you do in that game is useful in some way. It's just a case of what do you think is useful now? You know, you've got, you may have the occasional situation where it's like, yeah, you really need to put out this fire. It's kind of obvious. 
but the person playing that character will generally know that as well. But there's a lot of times where somebody might ask the question when I'm teaching them the game, like, oh, what do I feel, what can I do now? And rather than just tell them, do this, I can give them about five or six different options. You could get, you could quench out a bit of that fire because, you know, too much fire equals explosions. Uh, there's a cat over there. You might want to go save that cat because after all, we got to save, you know, seven of these people to win. There's a hazardous material near you. It's about to blow if it gets any hotter, so maybe you might want to drag that out. You are next to the door, so you could go outside on the fire engine, change your character and, you know, go do some spraying and that. Or you could chop down a few walls, help with mobility. You know, there's a few other things that they can do. And I give them the options and they get to pick. And whatever they pick is useful. It's just a case of whether it's the thing that we needed to do at the time. But they have fun doing it. So that one works for me as well. Uh, what other corpse do I... I don't have a lot in this room behind me, I must admit. But I feel like there's more co-ops that I am not thinking of. I mean, I'm not counting LCGs because I tend to play them solo as well, but of course they're brilliant co-op games. But, you know, I if I play Arkham Horror, Lord of the Rings, or Marvel Champions, I tend to play it with a max of two people anyway, and ideally I tend to play them solo. So there's technically Marvel Legendary. I mean, Marvel Legendary is a good fun one. I tend to play that one more solo though, although I do like playing that multiplayer. Um, so I suppose, yeah, the Marvel Legendary, Legendary Encounters, Aliens, my favourite of those lot, you know, Legendary Predator, they're good ones, you know, good deck builders that are co-op. In Star Realms, for that matter, actually, has some pretty good co-op scenarios. If you get certain box sets that allow, I think Frontiers did it, and a couple of others, you can do these co-op scenarios in Star Realms. They're pretty good fun as well, although I do tend to play those solo, I must admit, so... Maybe that doesn't count, but um, another one, oh yeah, Ghost Stories. I don't think I mentioned Ghost Stories yet. That's a brilliant one for not playing solo, because with that one, I like to have a team of four. Everybody's useful. You know, it's a tough one. Everyone's discussing, you know, which ghost should we go after. Everyone gets into it. It's a tough battle all the way up to the end. You know, that's a really good one as well, although you can substitute that with Last Bastion. Personally, I think Ghost Stories has a better theme, but I'm not going to belabor, you know, which one is the better game, because frankly, they're pretty much the same game. Yeah, I think one might have slightly streamlined it more, but personally, I like the whole ghost thing. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other games I've got that count as co-op on my shelves, but I do like a lot of them solo, so there's a, some indication of some really nice co-ops that I like that I would like to play in multiplayer mode. And the final question comes from another Patreon, Mario, and this is, let's see, what was the game you played that made you realise you wanted to take board gaming as a hobby? Okay, alright, so that's different. The one that made me want to take it as a hobby? I have to say, I mean, I've played board games for a fair bit of my life. They've just been the older games, and there were some games like Steve Jackson stuff, like Illuminati and uh, Fantasy Flight stuff like Citadels that I played quite regularly during university, and this was before I got into board gaming. I was a good Magic the Gathering player for a while. That's technically in the board game hobby, even though that's sometimes considered to be a separate thing, but I was still doing it, but I've kind of enjoyed games more of my life, but I suppose you're kind of asking what do I think is the game that converted me to take it seriously now. In which case I can think of the one game that did. This was the game that I played at Portsmouth on board when I first thought you know what I need to get out and meet new people and just try something new because I was 
in a bit of a phase in my life where it's like, I need more hobbies. I need to do more than just the gym and cinema and that. You know, I need something else to do, stimulate my brain. And so I thought, well, I like board games. I'll go to the Portsmouth on Board Club. There's one local. I was in a flat nearby, so it was only across the road. And I thought, I'll give this one a try. Meet new people and try board games. You know, board games were always fun as a kid. Then I suddenly realized, wow, board games have come a long way and I want to do more. And the game that I played, that probably is the one that converted me was Seven Wonders. Seven Wonders with leaders specifically. I played in a seven player game with the leaders expansion, having never seen any other modern board game at all. You know, and Seven Wonders with leaders. So I didn't even get to try Seven Wonders basic. I jumped straight into leaders because one thing I do pride myself on is I'm a very quick learner. I don't necessarily get instantly good at the game, but I can certainly get my head around the mechanics and understand what I'm doing pretty quickly when I'm explaining the game. You know, it may not be the most efficient strategy I go for, but I will be able to pick a strategy and go with it. It's why I always advise people when they play complicated Euro games with me, just pick a strategy, run with it, don't deviate, get used to the mechanics, but have fun doing that one path that you've decided to do. Sadly, a lot of people like to try and do everything. It's hard to get this into people's heads, but uh, yeah, Seven Wonders. I played it with them. I had a blast. I did what I did before. It's like, right, there's a lot of cards to learn. Each one has a different way of working. I need resources. Okay, they're mandatory. But do I go heavy blue, heavy green? Green seems a little complicated at first, so maybe I'll go for blue. But, you know, no, no, I've got a lot of red cards here. And the leaders I've picked are red base. So, you know what, we'll go with that. And so I did. I just said, right, I'm going full on red. I am a military nutcase. And I won. I won my first game of Seven Wonders with Leaders by going mad on red cards. I had the leader that gave me points for red cards. I had the leader, I think, that gave me additional shields. Or, oh no, made it cheaper to get red cards. So I got points for them and I got them cheaper. So I munchkined red cards. Won every single combat in the game. Still managed to get the odd points here and there from other cards. But I was able to get two points every red as well as the combats. And other people, because there were seven of us, you know, were getting screwed out of their own points, and I managed to win. I don't know if it was a comfortable win or not, but I managed to win, and I felt pretty good, and I... Whoa, this is what games are like now? i got to try out more of them. Now, this wasn't the game that made me decide I wanted to be a reviewer. That was not so much a game and more just watching the Dice Tower do their videos and thinking, well, I like to give my opinions on stuff, I like to tell it how it is, so maybe reviewing would be fun. Maybe I should have considered just simply playing games. I don't know. <laughs> it's certainly been stressful as well as fun to do a channel. But yeah, Seven Wonders would be the answer to that one. It was the one game I played where it's like the light bulb goes on in my head and says, this is the game that has converted you. You are now an initiate into modern board gaming. You go forth, go forth, Luke. Go and explore. You have a whole world ahead of you. And uh, I have to admit, I kind of miss that feeling, actually, because nowadays after playing a ton of games, you suddenly get a little bit jaded onto new stuff, you know, especially with the games coming out stupidly regularly. But, yeah, oh well. It it was a good game, it was a good feeling, and certainly it, it basically sparked the, the that game and the decision to go to that club, sparked several years' worth of gaming, meeting people, video content channel. I never would have even learned how to do video editing if I hadn't done this channel, audio and everything, podcast, YouTube. I wouldn't even gone near this sort of stuff. But I certainly wouldn't have had, you know, 
three Calyx shelves in my house full of games, you know, and desiring to have a fourth Calyx, which I can't fit anywhere in my house, which makes me sad. I want a bigger house. I can't afford a bigger house. <laughs> I live alone. You know, it's, it's, I wouldn't be in that sort of situation without that, that fateful night. So yeah, I mean, those five questions, you know, cheers for those guys. I've got another one or two questions uh, for next episode from, you know, casual viewers. But by all means, if you catch me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or if you're on my Patreon, you know, particularly if you want to sign up to my Patreon and send me questions, then by all means do, because I would love to hear from you guys. If you're on the Patreon, even just a dollar a month, if a thousand of you do that, think of how that would transform the channel if a thousand of you donated a dollar a month. But... You know, if you're on the Patreon, you can get early access to review videos as I put them out. You can submit questions at the next tier. You can join in on voting for Patreon choices and what top 10 lists I do. And, and you can be even, if you're high enough, you can even be credited at the end of my videos, as you've probably seen. So, you know, that's it for me. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you guys for listening. I'm going to get on with, I don't know, really. I feel like... I'm probably a bit too tired to play any more games tonight, despite the fact I have all those LCGs. So I think I'm going to reserve tomorrow for... I'll get up, do a little bit of work, because i got to do. I'll go shopping, because I need food. <laughs> and assuming that the storm does not drown me or blow me away, as we are about to get hit by one of the worst storms we've had for a while uh, tomorrow, you know, as long as my fence doesn't blow down again, I should be in a position where I can go, you know what, whole day... Just play games. And I'm going to be trying to learn on Mars. I'm going to try and play some of those LCGs. I'm going to unwrap a couple of my new ones like Stockpile, the Epic Edition I got recently. You know, I'm just generally going to have fun with some games tomorrow. But for now, I think tonight I'm going to play a bit of Deep Rock Galactic. It's uh, kind of my PC game I'm kind of obsessed with at the moment. You know, it's basically space mining dwarfs killing big spiders and stuff. And I'm arachnophobic, so killing spiders, uh, yes, good for me. And then I might check out another Studio Ghibli film, actually, because I'm, I've am i never, shock horror, <laughs> never watched a Studio Ghibli film in my, in my life. I watched My Neighbor Totoro the other day, and I didn't like it. But uh, <laughs> there was some stuff I liked about it, but yeah, it kind of bored me. And I really didn't like the girls. They kind of grated. But maybe I'm just not the target audience. But that hasn't put me off Studio Ghibli. I want to check out a lot of their other films. We're getting them on Netflix in the UK. And I'm probably going to watch a... Uh, 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 what's it called? Um, Kiki's Delivery Service tonight. Uh, here, that's good. And then as other ones get rid of, you know, Porco Rosso, uh, uh, one with the Tanukis, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, really want to see Valley of the Nausicaa Wind or whatever it's called. You know, I really want to see that. Spirit of the Way, Princess Mononoke. I'm going to watch these movies because I've always wanted to watch them. Just never got a chance. Now they're coming on the Netflix. Fantastic. You know, I get to watch a lot of cool Japanese anime movies. So, yeah, don't castrate me right now for the fact that I've never watched them before. I will get round to it, okay? But, uh, yeah, that's it. I'm going to sign off. So thank you for listening to this podcast. I look forward to doing more of these podcast episodes in the future, certainly on a much more regular basis than I have been before. Hopefully on a two-week basis or at least two a month, you know, even if I can't do it every every two weeks, I can certainly try and do two a month. And hopefully this will build up the podcast to a greater level than it was before because I think the podcast was kind of dying out a bit in terms of uh, recognition and you know, worldwide knowledge because one podcast a month or one 
podcast every two months, which is just not regular enough. You just, nobody knows you exist, apart from a few devoted fans, of which I love you all. You know, I need to get this podcast kind of pumping out more content so it can be known. By all means, share the podcast on social media, get it out there, have people listen, because it would be great for the podcast to do as well as the YouTube channel. Anyway, I'm rambling, I'm going, I'm going to sign off. So take care, have fun doing whatever you're doing this weekend. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Love you all, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you later. Thank you all for listening to my content, and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel for the videos about top tens, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.